Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. This week, the First Lady of Scotch, Dr. Rachel Barry, is a pioneer, the first woman to hold the title Master Blender at the helm of Glendronach, Benriach and Glenglasser Distilleries for Brown Foreman. She'll share her story with us for this, the 100th episode of The Drinking Hour. She has been described as the First Lady of Scotch, the first woman to hold the title Master Blender, also the first Scottish woman to be in the Whiskey Hall of Fame. Rachel Barry is a pioneer in what was, maybe still is, a profession dominated by men. A scientist, she has held the title for a couple of decades, um, tasting well over 150,000 casks during that time. And she's now Master Blender for the uh, Glendronach Benriach and Glenglasser Distilleries, owned by the US company Brown Foreman. And I'm delighted to say uh, she joins us now on The Drinking Hour. Um, Welcome to The Drinking Hour, Rachel. Yes, hello, David. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you, and there's so much to talk about. But let's um, begin at the beginning with how you found whiskey. And um, it really is the beginning because it had something to do with your grandmother, didn't it? Yeah, well, I was brought up in distilling country up in Aberdeenshire, just a, a stone's throw away from Glendronach Distillery. And um, my my grandmother used to, to cook with whiskey. And also she used to um, serve it to, to all that visited. And luckily for me, as a, as a small girl, I was um, had earache quite often. So um, I, I used to, she used to give me a little thimble full of um of hot toddy um i used to call it my nippy juice um and of course i, I frequently had earache <laughs> and yeah, yeah. um and it, it definitely helped it definitely helped um, so that start. had a kind of an effect on you um you then studied uh, science uh, you uh, studied chemistry, to be more specific, at the University of Edinburgh, um, and went on to work as a research scientist at the uh, Scotch Whiskey Research Institute. How important um, is that scientific background uh, to what you do? Yeah, I mean, the scientific background is really important to me. I would say most people who who are master blenders have some um, experience of the science before they they, they get to that position. Um, it's really, really important to understand where the flavors come from, how you can influence the character of the whiskey, and how you can fine tune it and perfect it and make it the best it can be. So it's really um, the science is the theory, I suppose, like learning music, it's like learning the theory. And then when you become a master blender, you learn how to compose. It's a lovely analogy. Um, how did you go from the scientific side? Um, at the uh, Research Institute to actually being uh, let loose in the barrel room? Well, I was very lucky when I was at the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute. It was actually in a really old building. It was a bit like Hogwarts. And deep down in the dungeon, um, there was um, there was a woodwork room. So whilst I was scientifically um, learning about all the flavours, at the same time, I had a bandsaw and I was cutting up wood from all around the world, um, making up little mini casks. And also in analyzing the, the, the intricate composition of oak and, and its influence on flavor. So ten, an analysis of 10,000 um, maturing casks in the warehouse during a project 
led me then into production when I joined a, a whiskey production company, and then I, I could apply all that scientific knowledge. So it was a very, very easy transition. Ah, oh, well, that's good to hear. Did you always kind of harbour this ambition, uh, even while you were studying chemistry, to make whiskey? I really wasn't conscious of it at all. I, I, would, I, would, I would say I was completely unconscious of the <laughs> of the path that one could take back at that time. I mean, this is like well over you know thirty years ago. Um, and whilst I was studying, uh, you know, I was very curious about single malt. Brought up in distilling country, and I used to buy myself a miniature of different distilleries every couple of weeks, and that was my, kind of my reward for studying hard, but also a way to discover more about distilleries. So it really was a hobby rather than a vacation at that point, and it was just complete serendipity that led me into Scotch, you know, a, a, just a chance cycling past the career service at Edinburgh University, popping in and seeing what they've got. And the last day it was advertised was the job at the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute. And I thought, ah, I didn't even know that existed. Um, that's the job for me. Well, you'd be amazed. Maybe you wouldn't. Um, how many people I talk to who are at the top of their game, who found their uh, career by uh, serendipity. So it does... Uh, certainly uh, ring true. Uh, for those who might love a tipple but don't really know much about how whiskey is created, um, can you just explain um, what a master blender actually does? Yeah, a master blender really touches every point of the process. Um, I'm a bit like it, being a spider at the centre of a web, right from the barley in the field, um, understanding the quality right through to the spirit of the still, you know, assess the quality of every single um, spirit run, as we call it. And then the vast, vast stocks that we have maturing in our warehouses from zero right off the still, filled into oak, right through to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60 years old. You know, this is really very, very rare and very um exceptional really to um to to here in britain because um it's you know our climate is perfect for long maturation so i of course have to i'm an arbiter of quality i am guardian of quality and looking after the the quality of the spirit knowing the flavors we want and really bringing the character to life through wood policy. So I have to travel the world um, or just source casks from, um, must be made of oak to be called um, Scotch whiskey. So it must be the very be best wood that we mature in. And then um, we can we can sample, you know, use from bourbon cask, ex-bourbon cask to ex-sherry cask from Spain, rum cask from Jamaica, um, Marsala casks, you name it you know, we can um, fill lots of different casks. Um, but I've got like 100,000 casks to look after at the moment. And I'm always checking in on them, um, just like all my, all my um, sleeping beauties, um, seeing how they get on and, um, and then deciding when the time is right to bottle them or to bring them together in a marriage um, that's that's going to be you know beautiful and um, and and, and um, capture the attention of of drinkers worldwide. A little bit of everything, and obviously I get to speak to consumers as well, to drinkers, to get their feedback, and really understand what it is people enjoy about whiskies too. So there's there's quite a lot of the psychology side of understanding human perception, and also a lot of the the more analytical side of understanding the whiskey itself. Yeah, that's interesting because um, doing my homework, the most eye-catching bit is is how you do this nosing, and we'll we'll come to that um, in a second because it's fascinating. But um, you really, I was struck by the extent to which you have to have a knowledge of the entire process from barley to bottle. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it, 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 especially with um, single malt Scotch whiskey, you know, understanding the sense of place, the provenance, the atmosphere, the conditions, the as well as the process itself, helps you to really, really understand. It's like getting to know a good friend, you know. It, you, there's always more layers. There's always more to discover. And you, you really um, get to know that friend really intimately through this, you know, constant deep diving into 
into every aspect of whiskey creation and how it comes to be and 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 the and the beauty of the sense of place as well which the three distilleries I work with are in, in quite different locations um, by the coast in a valley in an open expansive you know fields and fields and they are very very different um, and very individual um, so yeah it's 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 really important to get to know them really really well yeah that concept of terroir uh, I'm a wine man and obviously we bang on about it all the time mm-hmm. um, but it is really critical to, to scotch whiskey as well is it well if you think about it you know we've got an excess of 130 distilleries in Scotland and every single one is different so each distillery in some ways is is like a chateau wine you could say there's even more diversity than there is in wine because um, they are so so different uh, I mean Glendronach in Aberdeen charts it's amazing how um everything kind of synchronizes you know it's a very robust it's almost stoic in its nature it's solid it's got substance and the spirit of the still and 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 we marry it you know in the very finest the pinnacle the very most luxurious sherry casks um and it has that really deep richly rewarding taste like being down in a valley very very deep and then you know with Ben Reik and this open expansive atmosphere you can see from miles to the mountains and to the sea it's midway it is incredibly experimental it's where I get to play and have fun and be creative and expressive because it's such a versatile spirit it's a spirit that can go to the mountains or go to the sea it can it can it can um mature in a marsala cask or a virgin oak cask or a bourbon cask it it, it, it just is so, so versatile. And then you have Glenglassa on the coast, right on the beach. And it's um, like it sounds like glass. Uh, it sounds like the sea, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and it's amazing how, how terroir, terroir, maybe, the influence of the atmosphere, of the mineral-rich water that's gone through filtered through limestone, the the sea air, whatever. It is the most lush, tropical coastal malt. And and it's got this incredible kind of sea salt kiss taste. And you you think, gosh, you know, that's it it is to do with the sense of place. It's to do with the place. It's had an influence on the character. Well the the way you describe those uh three different distilleries is um is, is beautiful very evocative back to um nosing then how do you do that nosing well you know we're all human beings and um we've all got what's called an op- olfactory epithelium which is one centimeter squared at the top of our nose this does the job really of when you breathe in all the aromatics got your nose touch the sensor it does the chemical sensing work of of the aromatics and then it interweaves, obviously, with your limbic system and your brain, your memories, your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions. And and you that's how you smell. <laughs> that's your sense of smell. And it's really, really important. Obviously, extremely important in wine, but similarly important in single malt scotch whiskey um, to pick up the hundreds, if not thousands, of aromatics that we can create from the spirit of the still, be it a, a fruit-forward spirit, like an orchard fruit, be it a dark fruit spirit, be, be it a spirit with a smoky character um, from, from the peated barley, um, right through to maturation that develops the most amazing, complex, rich flavours through, through um, really complex maturation as well. So that's how we get hundreds and thousands of aromas. And they're all natural. You know, it's a natural process. Yeah, but the difference with wine, obviously we're nosing, but we're also tasting. Whereas if you were tasting all the time, um, you'd be staggering around the barrel room, wouldn't you, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I, we, we, uh, t- I nose kind of mm, uh, 90% of the time. Um, probably taste about 10% of the time. Tasting much like in wine in my, my blender's lab. Um, I have a spittoon and have a sink. And um, of course, the whiskey aficionados out there will think this is sacrilege. Um, but I do um, taste and obviously um, 
spit the um, the whiskey when I <laughs> when I have to drive home. Very very careful, and it's just a case of of feeling the texture. But you know we have to remember that I think with with almost every beverage, especially an alcoholic beverage, ninety um, percent of the flavor perception is on the nose. You know, that's why, for example, um, if anyone was unfortunate enough to have COVID, I unfortunately did very briefly and, and lost my sense of smell. And I really checked this again, you know, because it's never happened before. And I kind of sense checked, no, I really can't taste anything. So 90% of when you actually taste is down to your olfactory epithelium and your sense of smell. It must have been, given what you do, <laughs> terrifying when you had COVID. <laughs> well, yes, uh, I think for everyone it was terrifying. But the, um, I, you know, I've got a team as well, so I make sure that I calibrate people around me, and um, we are all calibrated. And therefore, um, if, if I'm not there, I've got a team who can do the nosing, and I know, and I'm, I rely on them, and I trust them, and they know what they're doing. Um, so it's not all down to me. Um, and yes, I I was very, I did trust, you know, I'm very trusting in life and, um, I trusted that it would come back, sense of smell and it did. So it was just a brief interlude, which meant I could focus at that point in time on some of the more strategic analytical parts of my job, (laughs) which require a lot of number crunching and, um, and future planning. Yes. You've got the, uh, sort of serious stuff as well as the you know the the, the magical stuff um, to, to do of course um uh, you talk about calibration there and of course we do that uh, when we judge wines you know the first couple of wines at the IWSC will will calibrate together it, it is um really interesting when you calibrate how you come together as a team isn't it yeah i mean it's, it's the beauty is in the discussion isn't it it's in the shared awareness, it's in the consciousness, it's in the learning from each other, it's in the shared experience. You know, I, I just love that. It's a big part of what I enjoy, actually, about whiskey making is that sharing um, with with the team at work or, or indeed with drinkers and consumers and having the chat and understanding more about how different people or as individuals, how we perceive things slightly differently sometimes, you know, depending on our potential blind spots to different aromatics or indeed our own memories, experiences or or where we were brought up in which geography in the world, you know, and the, the, the foods and the nature that we've been brought up with um, that really, um, you know, inform the way we describe whiskey. You know, I used to have a, a, a assistant to, who, who came up with a description for tasting notes of snickerdoodle. And I was like, what's a snickerdoodle? I've never heard of that. And of course, he was Canadian. Um, so um, he knew fine well what it was. Um, but, you know, these kind of differences um, between us as humans are, are what makes life interesting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talking of differences, you must work with uh, plenty of blokes. Um, do you think you do your job um, any differently to them because of your gender? I don't think so at all. Um, from my perspective, we're all individuals and we have individual journeys. And what is gender anyway? You know, I would question that <laughs> in terms of doing your job using the left and right hemispheres of your brain to be analytical, to be creative, to be expressive, empathic. All of these um, qualities and human attributes, you know, they are, um, they're not gender specific. Um, They're very individual. You know, I think the, the richness comes from, you know, us being individuals and, and having experienced many different paths in life and you know and we all we all put ourselves into our work you know we all have a slightly different perspective so for me it's not definitely not a barrier it's um it's an opportunity for richness having different individuals um involved in the in the whiskey industry you are a pioneer though uh, as, as modest as uh, as you might be about it um, the first female master blender um, as i mentioned the first a Scottish woman to be in the Whiskey Hall of Fame. Have you um, encountered 
obstacles along the way in terms of attitudes towards you being a woman doing a job that had at that point been done by men? I've I've experienced a lot of attitudes in my life (laughs) from women and men. You know, um, people have attitudes, you know, about everything, don't they? Um, some people feel strongly about different things and some people don't. So I've always had the philosophy that um, other people's attitudes are none of my business. So that, for me, means, you know, no, nothing really kind of stood in my way from that perspective because, I, I, I've, I've you know, nothing's really bothered me, to be honest. You know, I've, I've, I've had a family. I've got, you know, I've got three boys. I've... You know, I've got a brother, I've got a dad, you know, I've got, <laughs> I'm surrounded by men. Um, and they're all individuals as well, and, and they've all got different attitudes. So, again, I don't think gender has had a part to play at all, from my perspective. Mm. What advice would you give to uh, women who want to succeed in roles still dominated by men? Well, I think, you know, it's, it, you know, you have to love what you do, most importantly, I think. You know, in any job, you know, life is short. <laughs> let's, let's be serious about this. And you really want to path, you know, pick a path you're going to enjoy and, you know, working with people that, you know, uh, uh, you're going to enjoy working with and, you know, just go for it and learn, be curious. That For me, that is the biggest skill. If you can continue to be curious, ask questions and have the courage um, as well. If you, if you, if you um, face any hurdles, you know, overcome them. You will, you know, you'll be so much stronger for it. And I think you've just got to go for it. There's a place, definitely a place for, um, for everyone who's who's keen to work in the the whiskey industry, if if you're interested, if you're keen, if you're curious, um, just go for it. You know, there's nothing stopping you but yourself. Really, I think nowadays it's um, if, if you've got the passion, that's going to shine through, and you're going to get the job. Just go for it is uh, great advice. Um, a lot has changed in the world of whiskey in the couple of decades odd that you've been part of that world? Well, th- 30 years. I've been part of the whiskey world for three decades. Can you I was being polite. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind getting older. Like a fine single malt, you know? Um, but, yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot has changed. Um, the whiskies are still made in the same way, though. You know, only three ingredients, um, five distillery process to make single malt. And what we create is the most complex spirit in the world. There's more distilleries than there ever have been. So probably the biggest change has been growth. I mean, I've seen a couple of dips in those 30 years, a little bit of downturn a couple of times along the way. But overall, you know, it it just keeps getting bigger and better and bolder and um, more beautiful. You know, it's, it's, it's a great place to be. And People are really, um, well, drinkers are really waking up to single malt scotch um, around the world in a way that perhaps they were to wine, say, in the 70s um, or 80s, you know. And so that's like 40, four decades on. I think the connoisseurship in single malt has never been this great. Um, and the communities around it as well have never been as great. And it's also become a very, very aspirational drink. So, um, you know, there are um, drinkers gravitating to um, single malt from wine, from other spirits, and, um, you know, discovering um, the richness and the stories there. So for me, it's the growth, which is the the biggest change, is, is that it's, you know, expansions to distilleries, um you know, the, we're selling more single malt scotch in the world than, than ever before. And there's been a quite significant growth in the price of whiskey as well, hasn't there, really? It's, it's got this premium status. Well, single malt scotch is very expensive to make. Malted barley is a very expensive ingredient. And of course, we leave the whiskey in the warehouses for, you know, not three years for single malt scotch. Typically, it's 12 years 
or 18-year-old or 25-year-old, and some going right up to 60 and 70-year-old. So when you get up to the you know 50-year-old age, you've only got a few drops left. And it's like the rarity of fine art, for example. It's one of a kind. It's so rare. It's so old. You know, this doesn't happen anywhere else in the world, um, typically, because the, the conditions do not allow for that age of maturation or complexity. And for that reason, you know, it is the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle of the distiller's art. Um, and it's it's just absolutely beautiful. You know, it's the taste of paradise. It's, it's something so, so exquisite. So I think... You know, it is very much a, a very, very fine Epicurean product with with provenance, with richness, and and to be sipped and savoured and appreciated. A lot is written about uh, single malt um, versus blended whiskey. So, single malt a, a blend in itself, but from one distillery versus blended whiskey um, from multiple distilleries is one superior to the other in in your mind. Uh, they are certainly different. And I mean, you know, single malt scotch is like the fine, the finest chateau wines. So <laughs> I don't know which ones I can mention. Um, Patrice or let, let's just, I could probably roll off a few. They are the pinnacle of the distiller's art. They have incredible complexity, individuality of character and diversity of style. You know, one sniff to an aficionado, and they will recognise that single malt by its aromatics, its identity. It's so unique. And, you know, for that reason, you know, it's like the most Epicurean um, taste. The the provenance shines through. Um, As you mentioned about wine, the terroir, it really shines through in single malt. There's a sense of place. That distillery, almost like that chateau, you cannot make it anywhere else. Whereas with a blend of different malts or grain distillery and malt distillery, you know, there's not really a sense of place other than the whole country. And and you're not going to get these idiosyncrasies, these unique and really beautiful, delicious tastes that are very specific to that distillery in anything else. What do you think are the most exciting innovations or trends in whiskey at the moment? Oh, gosh. I mean, whiskey is always innovating. Um, You may wonder why why I say that when there's only three ingredients, malted barley, water and yeast, um, matured in oak casks. But we can source casks from around the world. Um, And, you know, we we, um, have the permission to do so as long as our distilleries keep the aroma, taste and character of Scotch whisky, um, something which is very tightly analysed and controlled um, to the highest possible standards. Um, so, yes, experimentation with different casks um, is, a, is a big one. Also, I think bringing really the translation of this sense of place to the consumer is is something which I think in previous decades wasn't really looked at. It wasn't really... Um, it wasn't really explored or brought to life. So I think you'll see more of, for example, um, with with our Glen Glass at Single Malt. It is so coastal. It's so unique. And it's that story has not yet been told. You know, this, it just awakens the senses, you know, and that kind of bringing people in through this, the richness of the storytelling, the, the really bringing to life the, the character of the distillery, I think, is something you're going to see more of. So they, they no longer all look the same on the shelf um, with, you know, the same standard tall round bottle, you know, old world labels, etc. You know, you will see, you're beginning to see much more identity um, shining through in the packaging as well. So people know when they when they see a bottle, they, they, they get a feeling of what they're going to taste, not just from the tasting notes, um, just the more, I suppose, the extrinsic storytelling that you're also going to get um, from each bottle. So a bit of, you know, experimentation with ingredients is always happening, as well as 
the kind of packaging design and, and sustainability as well. That's another another big thing, you know, making sure that we are using recycled glass, that we are reducing our packaging waste um, and that side of things. You'll, you'll, you'll see more of that as well. Are you doing quite a bit of work on that yourselves at the three distilleries you oversee? Yeah, we're looking at that. I mean, we're always looking at, you know, packaging refresh or redesign um, and whatnot. And, you know, as part of that journey, every time you kind of do a redesign, um, we obviously will look at, okay, well, how can we reduce our packaging waste or or maybe change to a carton rather than a tube because it's it's more um, environmentally friendly? You know, yes, I mean, it is part of the considerations, of course. But, um, you know, distilleries in themselves are, are pretty, pretty sustainable anyway. Um, it's... Uh, Nothing, nothing goes to waste. Yeah, it's good to hear. Um, I'm always struck by the sort of sometimes weird and wonderful different maturation vessels. Well, the, the, they're barrels, but 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 what they've contained previously. To the extent where I I kind of sometimes wonder if you know almost anything works. I mean, do you experiment? Have you had episodes where something has not been quite what you might have hoped for? Well, yes, in the past 30 years, <laughs> in my younger years, fortunately, I've learned a lot. I'm still learning. But, you know, there have been times when uh, uh, there was one experiment, actually, it was before it was before the um, definition was tightened to be only oak and experimented with different wood, basically. And um, I think it was cherry wood. And, and it really was awful. It was like, extreme bounty bars on in kind of sweat <laughs> it was just unbelievable and it kind of made me very quickly realize and appreciate and this was when I was much younger uh, experimenting how amazing oak is for maturation and how really the reason that we say it must only be oak is because we are protecting the quality the standards the exquisite nature of uh, of scotch whiskey because it is the best. You get the best balance of flavour, of complexity. It brings out distillery character and, you know, is, is, is definitely the best in, you know, of all, of all trees, of all woods for maturation. Um, so, yeah, so that was one. Um, <laughs> and there's been odd other. I mean, the thing is, I've done so many experiments that it becomes really, really intuitive. So with Ben Riek, for example, I just kind of knew... Um, because it's such a fruit forward, it's like orchard fruit. I knew that rum cast would work, that the sweetness of American virgin oak would work the, to bring out that sweetness. So, you know, each distillery for me and, and, and different blenders take different approaches, but I'm very much about um, nurturing the individual distillery character and not going too much off piste because it just doesn't feel right. You know, the spirit's not going to like it as much. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be as, as good as it could be. So, for example, Glendronic as well, you know, um, way back in the day, previous years ago, there were expressions released of, of, you know, virgin oak, for example, and I've tasted those. And to me, it doesn't do Glendronic justice because Glendronic is this big, robust, you know, um, single malt that just works so well in the most luxurious, unctuous sherry casks. There's just nothing like it. It's just so richly rewarding and satisfying and deep and you know it really wouldn't do justice to 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 put it in to release it in a bourbon cast for example that makes a lot of sense and it's i can't stand a bounty bar so the idea of an extreme bounty bar is just a you know it sounds like hell um but it, it's a great story the one thing of course it's you not can't... single malt scotch and unfortunately we're not allowed to do that no. So, um... <laughs> the one thing you can't buy or just acquire um, is experience, of course. So for someone who's starting out, you 30 years ago, what advice would you give uh, to them on how to to get that knowledge base that is so critical to what you do? I think it's got to come naturally, I think, over time. You have to have passion for it first and foremost. You want to, you have to want to learn. You've got to have a growth mindset. Um, and I suppose if you're 
wanting to find out about whiskey, you're wanting to find out about whiskey, you, you are passionate already. So go to distilleries, absolutely visit distilleries, get the feeling of the different sense of place, smell the, the different smells when you go around distilleries, take in that whole sensory experience, um, be perceptive. And sample as much whiskey as you can, of course, um, mostly nosing. And then you can you can then discover the nuances, idiosyncrasies, you know. And then, you know, there are courses as well, um, various different um, courses. Edinburgh Whiskey Academy, for example, is one that do a course, a diploma in Scotch whiskey. Um, you could, if you want to go to university and you're starting out, you know, Harriet Watt University does... Um, a brewing and distilling course if you're really keen to um, to study it first. I think that's a great way. And also there's, there's postgraduate study as well through the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. You can do a, a, a diploma when you're working as well in distilling. So you can learn about the, the nuts and bolts, the intricacies that way. Or you can just, you know, get together with friends, go on a road trip, visit distilleries. Yeah, you can never... You can never sample enough whiskey. <laughs> mm. So it's, it's a never-ending journey. I think that's what I'm trying to say. But that is the richness of life. Um, always stay curious as well. Um, and, and look for the opportunities because they're out there. Talking of journeys, uh, you know, your speciality is obviously Scotch whiskey. Uh, there are some, I, I gather, pretty amazing whiskies being made elsewhere in the world is there um anywhere that sort of really sort of excited you beyond um the shores of of, of scotland well you know i have sampled whiskey from many other countries as well and I, I find it fascinating to learn their differences you know um this the, the really kind of the corn rich sweetness for example in the u.s um you know um it, it's really interesting and then when you go to japan you know the, almost the um very ethereal character um of the japanese single malts i find fascinating as well um but at the end of the day i mean i've, I've done some judging competitions and um the uh, i still find that is single malt scotch really good the best single malt scotch just cannot be beaten I, I certainly i haven't discovered anything that really can compete with the complexity uh the diversity the character individuality of character and and obviously the the ability for it to have a really long life and to mature to 60 or 70 years old you know there's definitely some distilled wisdom I think in single malt scotch because it it can mature for so so long. Um, whereas in most geographies of the world, you know, if you if you if you go to the states, most most of the whiskey there when it's maturing is you know they lose maybe ten percent alcohol per year. After ten years, it's all gone. You know, you know they can't explore or experience what we can in scotch with that maturity and age. You mentioned judging there. The IWSC sponsor this uh, podcast. Um, how do you assess um, a, a whiskey? So when you're doing it blind, when it's not one of your own, one of your babies, um, how do you go about um, assessing it? What are you looking for? Well, first of all, it can't have any off notes. <laughs> that's that's key. And, and generally, you know, most whiskies are of a good standard. Um, there's not very few bad whiskies, but that's that's it. Instant fail <laughs> if there's anything um, sulfury or or um, too vegetal or or whatever, not well matured enough. So you're looking for maturity. You're looking for complexity, integration of flavour, aromatics. You're looking for it to be well rounded. Integrated, I think, is, is really the key for me. For it to tell a, a story, as soon as you know it, you want it to open up and tell you the story of its creation without you having to think too much about it. And I think really importantly to me is for any any whiskey, um, is, is that when you know it, when you then sip, you are getting an even 
better experience on the taste. So it's exceeding your expectations. Where some whiskies can stop a bit short, they can have this, you know, powerful aroma and then suddenly it hits you and it's spiking in different directions and it's just not quite there. It has to be integrated on the palate, balanced and have a really interesting um, texture as well that that um, leaves you with hints of everything you've tasted during that journey. So yeah, I mean, I look for finish. I think at the end of the day, the finish reveals all. So when you sip and you savor and then you maybe wait a minute um, or so and what you're left with on your tongue is actually a really, really good indication of the quality because you cannot hide from the finish of a whiskey. No, that's very you know, true. A Glendronic, for example, you know, a pick uh, 12-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old, when you know it's incredibly aromatic, it's rich, but it's when you taste, it crescendos on the palate. It crescendos with a silk velvet texture and then all of that lovely, richly sherried character, dried fruit, a little bit of spice and lovely um, kind of um, unctuous texture just 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 is left on your palate it's just it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful so yeah it has to be the whole sensory experience as well um for me to to judge a whiskey you know you can't just do that on its nose alone no you have such an evocative way of uh, describing uh, whiskey as well unsurprisingly i suppose given that you're a uh, a master blender but some, when you settle down of an evening do you still enjoy a whiskey or, or does it feel like work? Does it feel like what you've been doing all day? Well, I do have quite a lot of whiskey behind me at the moment, <laughs> my little bar, some of which is work, but most of which is pleasure. And um, I share with friends and family um, and and discuss with friends and family. You know, it really is a pleasure to be able to to share what I do and to people who will listen, you know, <laughs> and who... who um, who are curious, you know, and there are so many people are really curious. So <laughs> I do think I've got the best job in the world when, when, when people are really interested in what I do <laughs> and they want to learn more about the whiskies. You know, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I, I do have a dram of an evening and I, I, I there's always, a you know, different moments. I'm not prescriptive to myself at all. It's like, um, you know, on my birthday um, in, in April, I, I always love being outdoors in the garden, having a dram of Benry at 10, um, because it just is like open to possibilities. It's when I'm at my most creative and just going outdoors with a dram. And I just, you know, it's, it's just beautiful. Um, I kind of do tend to marry and integrate um, what I do at work and with my imagination and my lifestyle, I suppose, to a certain degree, um, and what I appreciate. Whereas, you know, a Glendronic, I, I, I always have um, a Glendronic at Christmas time and um, on Hogmanay, and, you know, it's my dad's favourite dram. So very, very meaningful. And then, you know, with Glenglassa, it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it awakens the senses. So even just to smell it on a summer's day and um, down, down by the, the shore near where I live is, is, is just, it just is, is quite breathtaking sometimes. Um, so yeah, I still appreciate, still um, love single malt scotch whiskey. Um, will always, I always will. I was just wondering aloud, you may not know the answer to this question, but I, I certainly don't. Um, the origins of dram, what, what is that about? Um, because we're so used to hearing it, but I was just thinking then, what is that, what's the uh, etymology of, of, of dram? Do you know? The word dram? Oh my yeah. goodness, dramming and dram. Oh gosh, I really yeah. am not sure about that, what, where, the, where it came from. I should yeah. know this, you know. Well, no, I'm it's, not sure. Uh, somebody you should, asked because... me to go on Mastermind the other day, and I said, "No way, <laughs> no way, I'm going to get these these questions." And that's one of those questions. <laughs> well, it is. Yeah, it's a curveball. Sorry, um, I just um, I, I actually looked it up briefly in my other hand while I was uh, well, talking yeah. to you then. Well, that's thinking, uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't really give you. It, it's got a dictionary definition, but we kind of know that. Um, but it doesn't. Um, it doesn't offer the um, etymology, so um, so we'll have to go away and, and, and find out. But it's um, such a lovely yeah. word, but it just suddenly occurred to me. Always sounds 
better when said by someone with a, 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 a the right accent, of course. But um, oh, yeah, it's, act- yeah. it's actually a bit like my name, actually, Doctor Ram, because my initials <laughs> are R E M. Oh, very good. Yeah, <laughs> I've just, just realised that I had never thought of that before. I was you couldn't like, make it up. Yeah, that's like Doctor Ram. Yeah, that's well. That, there there you go. That's you need to wear a badge or something <laughs> with that on. Um, <laughs> Final question, um, less of a curveball. Um, what's your desert island drink? I'm assuming it'll be a whiskey, given what you do, but it doesn't have to be. But what would be, um, stuck on a desert island, um, what would be your uh, uh, drink of choice? Oh, well, it has to be, actually, I have a wee drop here. I have a wee drop here. Not that I'm on a desert island, but um, I was writing some tasting notes um, recently for this, and um, it definitely is my desert island dram, um, mainly because it is made by on the beach. It's made the distillery is virtually on the beach, so its character is awakening. It's luscious. It's tropical. It is kissed by the sea. It, yeah, if I was on a desert island, this would be my dram, um, and. This particular one is is very, very old, very, very complex, very concentrated. I would describe it like an elixir. So um, if anything was an elixir, it is this. This is Glenglassa, 50 years old, single malt, so um, <laughs> around my age-ish. And it's, yeah, it is just so beautiful. It's so, it's quintessential. It's like the quintessential coastal malt, you know? I can't think of anything better to be on a desert island, just drifting along, you know, um, taking your time, um, appreciating the, the beauty of the shore and the, and the horizon um, and all that is beautiful in life, really. Taste of paradise. Yeah, your taste of paradise again. Well, it was, um, I get the advantage of, of, of seeing you and actually uh, you were definitely being transported somewhere with that uh, nosing. And again, um, beautiful, mm-hmm. um, evocative um, description too. Um, it is uh, a, a great pleasure to chat to you. Um, and I know you're a, um, a, a, a super busy lady. So thank you so much uh, for taking the time out um, to talk to us today on The Drinking Hour, Rachel. It's been an absolute pleasure, David. Um, great, great to chat. Thank you for having me. And um, all I can say now is Slangeva. I've got a glass in my hand. So Slangeva, or cheers to everyone. Cheers to you, David. Cheers to everyone listening. Thank you so much. Dr. Rachel Barry, Master Blender at Brown Foreman's Glendronach, Ben Reik and Glenglasser Distilleries. And uh, I inadvertently put her on the spot there on the etymology of dram. So, uh, did a little bit of homework afterwards. It was uh, in Scotland, the word dram was first used to describe a glass of whiskey. Uh, That won't come as a surprise. It isn't an official measurement. That probably won't come as a surprise either. Uh, A dram is most often referred to as any amount of whiskey that you could swallow in one mouthful, which uh, strikes me as a slightly subjective measure. Uh, But hey-ho, the word originates from the ancient Greek word drachme, and it's used then in reference to coins, apparently. But it's basically an ancient word for measure. There you go. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. Well, Rachel is uh, very sensibly rounding off with a wee dram. So let's do the same with some medal winning whiskey recommendations from the International Wine and Spirit Competition, starting with some familiar names from Rachel's stable, uh, the Glendronic Distillery 16-year-old Boynes Mill single malt Scotch whisky was not only a gold medal winner, uh, it scooped 98 points, uh, but it was also a trophy winner too. So uh, a symbol of one of the best in show uh, in 2022. Um, Judging this, we had Richard Patterson, OBE, uh, Colin Hampton-White, Jim Beveridge, and Deval Gandhi. Uh, here's what they said. Densely packed, marvellously aromatic on the nose and rich and rounded on the palate. Notes of furniture polish and sticky date combined with dark honey and deep pepper before an elegant finish with notes of dried apricot and ginger spice. 
that was one of four gold medals for uh, Glendronach at the IWSC in 2022. Here's another gold from another of uh, Rachel's distilleries, uh, Ben Reich Distillery, the 25. The 25-year-old single malt Scotch whiskey was one of three gold medals for Ben Reich in 2022. Uh, there were also nine silvers, by the way. Uh, it's an impressive haul. Here's the judge's uh, tasting note on that 25-year-old. An extraordinary level of flavour with candied fruits, spiced sponge cake, fruit jellies and orange flavoured cake icing. Uh, The spicy peaty palate is approachable and entirely balanced with apples, pears, orange jelly and peat. Elegance in a glass, they said. Looking beyond Rachel's stable, uh, relatively rare to find anything that scores 99 out of 100. So this one, unsurprisingly, also therefore a trophy winner, uh, deserves a mention. Uh, Tomatin, a distillery, 1976, a single malt Scotch whiskey. Uh, the tasting note from the judging panel, seductively round with delicious aromas of rich linseed and sweet honey. Ripe tropical fruit notes on the palate, guava, papaya and mango all make an appearance, interspersed with star anise and fine oak tones which linger on the finish. Wow. And just to prove we're not just stuck in Scotland, here's a gold medal winner from across the Irish Sea. Uh, Teeling Whiskey, 30-year-old single malt Irish whiskey. The judging panel here overseen by Dawn Davis, Master of Wine, uh, a previous guest here on The Drinking Hour. Uh, the tasting note, sherried nose with an abundance of sweetness. The flavour profile is so vast and beautifully integrated with notes of spice, orange, burnt wood and old leather. The range of flavours evolves on the palate with the elegance of honey. There's also a category at the IWSC for whiskey highball uh, in partnership with Double Dutch. Uh, so here's the trophy winner from that category. Uh, gold medal winner too, fairly obviously. Uh, Starwood Left Field Single Malt Whiskey from Australia. Uh, The tasting note, stone fruits, stewed orchard fruits and sultana, wood aromas on the nose, an elegant profile, said the judges. Uh, But this really excelled in that highball where it scooped that gold and the prestigious trophy. Well done to uh, all of those uh, worthy winners. That's it for this, the 100th edition of The Drinking Hour. Uh, Thank you Uh, for your support. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, My thanks uh, to uh, Dr. Rachel Barry, uh, a real pioneer and uh, fascinating chat. Um, If you're so inclined, you can find my monthly wine column at Club Onologique. And uh, there's a wealth of wonderful content there. Uh, Thank you for listening. Do join us next time here on Food FM. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. I am Mr. Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. For now, goodbye. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.